Hello and welcome to the Friday, June 24th, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. On the podcast this week, yet another key abortion ruling from another Supreme Court. Iowa's Republican U.S. Senators split their votes on gun legislation. And Iowa Democrats make their pitch to preserve their first-in-the-nation status. And more. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Aaron. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. There are weeks where decades happen, Aaron. <laughs> right? <laughs> no problem <laughs> filling the podcast this week. Uh I feel like we just need the last 48 hours, much less the whole week. And uh, also with us today, Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. So we start this week uh, in a similar fashion to last week, and and God bless these Supreme Courts and the timing of their rulings, which, uh, again, dropping literally moments before we press record uh, on the podcast here. Uh, This time it's the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, which issued its much-anticipated ruling uh, on a couple cases, and that ruling, in essence, did what we have been suspecting and expecting ever since the draft leak from a few weeks ago, is that the U.S. Supreme Court has overturned Roe versus Wade, the landmark uh, 1973 ruling that made a federal, made abortion a, a federally guaranteed right. The ruling essentially, you know, I shouldn't say essentially, it says it right in the text, punts the issue of abortion back to the states. Uh, so what we'll have now moving forward is state action on a state-by-state basis um, regulating uh, slash banning abortions. Um, so again, f- hot off the press, fresh info. So we are giving you the our hottest and, uh, and uh, freshest takes here, barely a, a, a hour or so to, to consume this information. Um, Tom, let me start with you real quick. Uh, uh, from a reporting side of thing, you've you've been monitoring the reaction out there um, from folks around Iowa, advocacy groups, elected officials. Um, tell me what you're hearing. I guess we could start with. I, I, I don't expect any. Were there any surprises in anything that you've heard uh, coming from the folks who have issued statements on this ruling? No, I mean the responses are the ones that um, that you know you you expected. Um, you know, um, uh, GOP lawmakers, uh, leaders so celebrated um, the reversal as, you know, abortion rights supporters um, decried the ruling. Um, it's um, it, it's important to note, though, that no restrictions went into effect in Iowa with the court ruling. Um, abortion remains legal in the state uh, up until 20 weeks. Um, but Again, as I mentioned, um, you know, Republicans in the state celebrated the ruling, um, including Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. Um, She uh, talked about how um, this ruling, um, you know, upholds um, the uh, an enduring truth um, that uh, all human beings without exception are are created equal, um, according to her statement. And she went on to say that um, the fight for for life is not over and that as governor, um, she will not rest until every unborn Iowan uh, is is protected um, and respected. Um, You know, we also saw uh, statements uh, from uh, U.S. Senator uh, Chuck Grassley, who a product, who's also um, the ranking Republican on uh, the Senate 
Judiciary Committee um, and applauded the ruling in a statement uh, describing the reversal as a correction of uh, flawed legal analysis. Um, he said uh, that, uh, quote, this ruling does not ban the practice of abortion, but instead empowers the people through their accounted elected representatives to make common sense policy decisions that it makes policy. It takes policymaking, excuse me, out of the hands of uh, unelected judges, end quote. Um, Iowa Democrats um, uh, responded um, by saying that, um, excuse me, um, that uh, the fight to um, protect, um, reprotect, reproductive rights in Iowa um, is, is not over and that Iowa law still gives Iowans final say um, in, in making their own health care decisions, uh, including abortion. Um, Iowa House Democratic leader um, Jennifer Confirst um, talked about that, uh, you know, while today's ruling is tough and it might feel hopeless, again, this 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 fight is not over. Um, she talked about how a large majority of Iowans still believe in reproductive freedom um, and, and says that, um, you know, everyone deserves the right uh, to decide when to start a family and says that uh, she's going to, uh, quote, fight like hell every single day to make sure that uh, every family in Iowa keeps um, their right to, to access safe legal abortions. Todd, let me go to you next. Um, and I say this as a state house reporter. Um, the, the question now in Iowa is not whether Iowa Republicans will restrict abortions in some way, right? The, the question is to what extent and how soon. Am, am I right there? Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty clear from the governor's statement that she intends to try to ban abortion in Iowa. I mean, I when you say that, what did she say? She's going to protect and respect every unborn life. I mean, that's it's it's pretty hard to to do that by you know doing something less than a than an outright ban. So I think you know if she wins re-election and the and the legislature remains in Republican hands, which are both you know the the likely outcomes, I, I would expect some sort of ban on abortion in Iowa to be uh, to be voted on and probably signed by the governor. Uh, it's, you know, I I don't think they're going to go in before the election. I could be wrong. Uh, and I, you know, that was going to be my other question. Do you think they'll do a special session? I don't. I think I think they they see this as a as a really, you know, an important issue for their for the members of their party. But, you know, beyond that, it's also going to be, it's also going to make some problems, especially, you know, in your, in, you know, suburban areas and other places where, uh, you know, all places really where women who valued this individual freedom are now watching it being taken away and, and know that if Republicans you know, continue to control state government that it's going to go away in Iowa, too. So this is a, you know, this for Republicans, it may be one of those, uh, be careful what you hope for, because now there's an issue out there that's, that's big and may not, and the political wind may not blow in their direction. I mean, I know they want this all to be about, you know, inflation and gas prices, but this is a, this is a pretty big deal. 
I, I do kind of wonder too about the timing of when we might see something because more than it, like obviously as a party, this is an issue Republicans care greatly about. And then there are degrees to which like they care about it and make it their most important thing with, you know, folks like in my neck of the woods, Skylar Wheeler being one of the staunchest people. And with some of those legislators, if you, you know, genuinely believe that abortion is murder and it's ending innocent lives, I would think that might actually hasten you to act as quickly as possible and maybe even throw out waiting until after the election. So I, I am curious to kind of see what they decide to do with that. Yeah. And, and I'm going to plagiarize myself and something I said uh, last week on Pints and Politics. And hopefully y'all in the Cedar Rapids area made it out to that. And, and if you didn't, we'll make it to the next one. Um, but um it, it's it. What's interesting to me is, as Todd mentioned, you know, the governor is favored to win again. Republicans are are favored to keep their majorities. Um, the legislature, it's exceptionally hard to see anything changing there because of the wide majorities uh, that the Republicans have in both the House and the Senate. The governor's race, Kim Reynolds is the favorite, but I, I I think it would be dangerous for anybody to assume that that race is a foregone conclusion, and and so that's what's interesting to me about this and, and, and watching the next few weeks and months is that because it, it, it's a, it's a something of a leap of faith or, or political calculation for our Republicans, right? Because if they assume all those things and say, we'll take care of that next session. And if governor Reynolds does not win reelection, that opportunity is gone. Deidre DeGier is not signing off on any abortion legislation, right? So, so the, the way I phrased it during Pints and Politics is if we don't see a special session, to me, that says Kim Reynolds' campaign's internal polling shows her with a 10 or 15 point lead. I was just going to jump in here real quick and and say that um, that that Governor Reynolds and um, uh, um, GOP leadership uh, in the Iowa legislature um, have been silent on the issue of um, a special session. Um, we have reached out to the governor's office and we have reached out to, to legislative uh, uh, leaders and they've not um, they've not responded to messages and they've not said um, whether they will call a special session this summer to, to take up a new abortion law. Yeah. And for the benefit of the listening audience, sorry, Todd, we're at about 1130 AM Friday uh, morning as, as we taper. Go ahead, Todd. Well, you know, one of the, one of the advantages that Republicans believe they have in Iowa is that there's an enthusiasm gap that they're enthused. They have a, they're going to go on a red wave. It's going to be a big election for Republicans and that uh, Democrats are demoralized. They're not as well organized. To to call a special session this year would certainly give Democrats a rallying point and also sort of a moment to, you know, stoke the fires of their, you know, of, of their political organizations. And and as I say, if you look at the polling, this banning abortion is not particularly popular in Iowa. So to do something unpopular that would fire up the Democratic Party and put a focus on, you know, that they're going to be the ones protecting, you know, women's reproductive rights, I'm not sure that would be a, a you know, a good political calculation. But, you know, as, as, as has been said, I mean, if, if they feel strongly about it, as, as many of them do, they, they may decide that, you know, that's the right thing to do. Even even from like a political uh, calculation standpoint, 
do you think they should even care that much about Democrats getting fired up? Because at least from, you know, voting in the primaries, there are a lot more Republicans voting in like the Senate race than there were in the Democratic race. And so. Yeah, I don't think they're worried. I don't think they would be worried so much about necessarily about Democrats getting fired up. What they might be worried about is that the the whole polit- political theater of coming back for a special session to ban abortion would would strike at, you know, a lot of voters sort of in the middle, independents, women independents who aren't, you know, maybe might have voted for Kim Reynolds in 2018 are are looking at this saga and saying, you know, the Republicans really aren't representing my best interest. And and not only that, you know, right before an election, they're going to come in and and ban abortion. So so then I, I, my, my choice, you know, doesn't, the voters' choice doesn't count to them. I mean, it's it's kind of like you know nominating a Supreme Court justice and 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 you know uh, confirming her seven days before the election. I mean, people, the idea that you're going to do this before people have a chance to go to the polls also is going to is going to rub people the wrong way. But did you, Todd? That and that's interesting that that's the example you use. And I almost let me punt it back to you. Did you not actually? make a case against your own argument there because they did that and that didn't hurt them. Voters didn't well, punish them for that. Well, Donald Trump lost. So, I, I mean, I, I mean, there, there was that. Yeah. Uh, and, I, and I guess the other thing, l- let me ask you again, Todd, because uh, this is fascinating to me. Um, Democrats are going to make this an issue either way, right? I mean, sure. regardless of whether they do the special session or not. So, so I guess is what, what you're saying is that it's better to have to have that debate about what you might do next year as a Republican um, versus um, actually having done it and and taking that action right before an election is. is... Yeah, well, yeah, and, and Republicans over the years, you know especially in recent years, have been pretty good at running campaigns that didn't really say much about what they actually intend to do once they once they take office. And so I, I would expect this to be sort of one of those issues that they talk about at the, you know, loudly at the Sioux County pancake breakfast, but when they're in, in Urbandale, they might not bring it up so much. I mean, I think yeah. that's, yeah, I think I, they're probably better off keeping things sort of fuzzy than saying this is exactly what we're going to do we're going to ban abortion we're going to make we're going to make it a felony for a doctor to perform one you know here are all the details of what we want to do you know and people you know once you do that then it's then you've got a really clear target you know todd you just gave me pre is pre ptsd a thing because you just (laughs) gave me Flash forwards to to Jack Whitfer and Pat Grassley saying over and over over the next four months, well, we we've got an election and we'll talk to the caucus in and see what the caucus wants to do. I I can already (laughs) I can already. And the legislature is probably going to be more conservative. I mean, we had some of these primary battles that were fought over abortion and the people who wanted more stringent restrictions won those primary races. So, yeah. I mean, some of the some of the people that you, I guess, would pass for moderate these days, are, are not going to be around. So that'll that'll. But they would be for the special session, which is interesting. Well, and that, yeah, that yeah, that's a right? good point. I hadn't I hadn't considered yeah. that. So yeah, yeah, there's another reason they might they might decide not to go that way. Yeah. But they still I, uh, they still have the votes to pass stuff. I mean, I think sure, definitely. Sure. 
I uh, I had uh, two different like uh, little data points I uh, took note of that uh, might be helpful context. And one of them literally was this morning um, uh, as the Supreme Court decision happened. Uh, there was a Gallup poll that came out that found that uh, 25% of U.S. adults uh, have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the Supreme Court, which is down uh, from 36% 2021 and is an all-time low. And it's one of those things that's worth tracking because, you know, the way America tends to work is that change a lot of times happens incrementally. I don't know if that would necessarily hold true if Americans continue to lose faith in pretty much every institution that's supposed to be keeping this whole thing together. I, I do wonder then if some of these changes might start happening even quicker. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, decisions like this are going to make the U.S. Supreme Court look like the 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 legal arm of the Republican Party to most to most people. I mean, you had a, a you had a decision yesterday that basically tells blue states they can't regulate firearms or concealed firearms. Now you've got a ruling today that says red states can ban abortion. I mean, this is they're basically just imposing the Republican agenda on blue states and allowing the agenda to move forward in red states. I mean, it, this doesn't this is not going to strike people as you know uh, sort of uh, impartial weighing of of constitutional of constitutional jurisprudence it's it's going to look like they're just they're doing the bidding of one party and that is going to hurt their credibility as you suggest it already has yeah if, they, if they're not careful they're going to get down in the approval numbers of of congress and God forbid, maybe <laughs> even maybe even the media <laughs> and, the, and they won't even have the you know I hate Congress but I like my congressman I you know I don't have a Supreme Court justice to, to like who's my favorite I don't know well um, and also you know the other thing about that ruling is Clarence Thomas did a solo concurrence where he basically said this should open the door to looking at marriage and contraceptives and gay marriage I mean where's this this is we're we're headed down a fairly dangerous path amazing stuff and 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 to to paint a picture here for the listeners i hadn't even heard that part yet i literally saw the breaking news just before we headed on set uh to record iowa press this morning i hadn't even heard that specific part so that's yeah wow that that that's something um and and let me let me put a pin on this for now and we'll obviously have more to say about this in future podcasts, but uh, I, I think Tom raises a good point that's important to remind folks that the, as as everything that's happening for the moment, as of right now, current state law stands, abortions are legal in Iowa at the moment up until 20 weeks, and, 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 and that remains the case. So if there's any um, women out there listening um, and, and are wondering what, what that means um, in the immediate future, nothing changes for now and 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 we watch to see what will change and again when it will change um uh, so we'll be back to talk about that in future podcasts without a doubt um next up this week it it, it was the hot story um uh and it was and it's all of about not even 48 hours old and is already last month's news uh but the US Senate this week um passed legislation designed to address recent mass shootings at schools, churches, and other public spaces. Um, the pub, the bill uh, passed the Senate Thursday night and is headed to the House. Depending on when you're listening to this podcast, they have, may have already voted to, on it and maybe to President Biden's desk. It sounded like that thing was going to move and, and happen uh, quickly. 
Uh, the bill doesn't go nearly as far as gun control advocates would have hoped, but it is nonetheless also being called by some of those same advocates the most significant gun violence legislation in decades. Um, we're in Iowa, so let's talk about that. Fifteen Senate Republicans voted for the bill from Iowa. Joni Ernst was among those 15 who did vote for it. Chuck Grassley was not. He voted a no. Uh and as by way of background, really quick, the, the bill creates a more robust background check for 18 to 20 year olds who buy an AR-15, allows law enforcement to ask a judge to take guns away from an individual who's been convicted of domestic violence. That's the so-called boyfriend loophole. Uh, makes federal funding available to states to encourage them to pass red flag laws, and it funds various school safety and mental health care programs. Um, so, Todd, let, let's start with you on this one, and let me ask you, um, as we look at Senator Grassley's no vote against and, and Senator Ernst vote for the bill. Um, let me start with the most cynical question. Is this just Occam's razor? Is, is it the simplest explanation that Chuck Grassley voted no because he faces re-election this fall and didn't want to upset, upset his base and that Joni Ernst voted for it because she doesn't face re-election for four more years? Yeah, I, that's probably the right answer. I mean, I, uh, I mean, it was a fairly... You know, it's a fairly uh, mild, you know, package of of gun violence uh, efforts, and and uh, you know, Joni Ernst, who had been in the in, in the past, had been against uh, the closing the boyfriend loophole because she had you know concerns about due process. She voted for the bill, and now basically Grassley is parroting what. Ernst used to say about the boyfriend loophole and, right. and voted against and found it, found it as a reason to vote against the bill. So that's interesting. Also, I think uh, U.S. Representative Ashley Henson also expressed the exact same reservations about the bill. And I, I don't know when and if they voted, but it, it sounds to me like maybe she was going to vote no. And also, it wouldn't surprise me if the whole delegation did, but who knows? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I do think election your politics has something to do with it. I mean, he took, well, and we've said before is his little known opponent got 26% of the vote. And he also took a lot of flack for voting for the uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, which gave Joe Biden a win. So I think he's, he's being cautious. Yeah. There's a, there's a sliver of us that talks about bipartisanship as, as the goal um, in Congress. And, and it's easy to forget sometimes that the, in, in a lot of corners of the political world. That's, that's actually a, a dirty word uh, these days. Um, Jared, this issue had already taken on some life in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign. I think it's pretty safe money to wager that Democratic challenger Mike Franken will make an issue of Grassley's vote uh, on that campaign. What's your gut tell you about the extent to which that will be a factor with voters? How, how much does, and, and I should say here, again, like everything else, I wrote that question before everything that happened this morning. So obviously there's that entering this realm too, but uh, on, we're on gun control now. So, so what's your gut tell you about whether that's a, a move the needle type issue in this campaign? So yeah, with, you know, with the abortion ruling today and, you know, inflation concerns not going away anytime soon and, you know, this gun legislation looking like it's close to the end zone, it's maybe a little more difficult now to envision gun control being the issue with the most salience in the general election. Now, like with that said, I, I do think 
Franken will continue to bring this up, and that's for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is he's able to speak with more authority about firearms than Grassley, who himself has said in appearances it's been decades since he's even shot a gun. And, you know, Franken, of course, was in the military for decades and will readily tell people that the guns being used in some of these mass shootings aren't that different from what he saw in war zones. So even if, you know, this issue doesn't dominate the election all the way through, I do think it's smart for Franken to bring this stuff up because of that experience that he can point to and really draw a sharp contrast with, uh, with Grassley. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, it, 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 again, I mentioned that I just came off the set with with Mike Franklin. One of the this came up a little bit, and um, and and then also on the abortion thing. One of the things he said that was interesting to me, um, and that I, I'll be interesting to observe as this campaign goes on, is that maybe on some of these issues, Republicans. Um, I think the message from Mike Franken is be careful what you wish for the you know the the dog that caught the car sort of thing that may, maybe that hand has been overplayed now and that now maybe uh, abortion in particular he was talking about but I think gun rights figure into that too is um, has it gone past where most voters are to the point where those issues could actually hurt Republicans um, in, in these elections and in a place like Iowa. I, I don't think we know the answer to that question yet, but it, but it will be certainly interesting uh, to monitor. The other thing I want to say real quick on this is, uh, and speaking of pints and politics, um, there's a reason I always ask crystal answer crystal ball questions with, I don't know, but <laughs> because this came up this bill and I said, ah, I just have a hard time time seeing it pass and and uh you know it's always hard to get votes for legislation like this and and that was the last week and now it's going to be on president biden's desk by the end of the weekend so shows you what i know don't 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 bother asking me those kinds of questions i'm useless um moving on speaking of crystal balls what's going to happen with the iowa caucuses um also eons ago thursday morning god this week (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thursday morning, (laughs) leaders in the Iowa Democratic Party uh, took their turn making their case to the Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee as to why they, Iowa Democrats, believe they should remain an early voting state on the party's presidential nominating calendar. Uh, If if you're just tuning into Iowa politics, uh, a quick refresher, National Democrats have decided to shake up the process for picking their party's presidential preference. That alliteration was intentional, by the way. And Iowa (laughs) and any other state that wants to be an early voting state has to make their case to national party leaders now as they redesigned that schedule. Tom, you covered uh, the hearing. You listened in on the case they made. Give us a quick synopsis of the case that Iowa Democrats made and, and, and why did they say that Iowa should remain first? Yeah, so Iowa Democrats argued that the state offers a path to victory for long shot candidates and opportunities for meaningful conversations with rural Americans and Iowans from every walk of life. Um, again, as they made their pitch to, to hold on to their place at the front of the party's um, presidential nominating calendar. Um, so again, uh, Iowa Democratic Party Chairman Ross Wilburn told committee members that that Iowa presents a unique unique opportunity um, for presidential candidates to connect with voters distributed across urban, rural, and suburban areas, and in, in what he deemed to be a 
presidential swing state um, where a majority of congressional districts are competitive. Um, so Iowa's among 16 states in Puerto Rico. They're vying to be included in um, the Democrats' early presidential nominating window. Um, you know, the, the Rules Committee um, in the spring voted to reopen that nominating window, forcing all interested states, including the um, current early nominating states of Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina to, to apply for a spot. And the move came after the current lineup of, of, of states came under increasing fire for a lack of diversity um, that many Democrats say doesn't represent the, the party's true strength. Um, and so Iowa Democratic Party officials um, touted the state's pockets of diversity and um, argued that Iowa serves as an inexpensive um, and accessible playing field um, for, for lesser known candidates to uh, establish themselves. Um, so while Iowa is the sixth, the least diverse state in the country, um, Wilburn pointed to the urban demographics of Iowa's larger public school districts, notably um, the Des Moines School District, um, saying that um, in the last school year, according to their number of enrolled students, um, you know, 34.7% were white, um, 29, roughly 29% Hispanic, um, about 21% black, and talked about how that when taken individually, these districts look a great deal more like America as a whole and reflects um, the, the future of Iowa. Um, I... Uh, I don't, I don't know how convincing, uh, you know, uh, that, that argument was for members of the, the rules committee, um, you know, talking about how, um, there is diversity in Iowa and, um, Scott Brennan, uh, former Iowa democratic party chairman, um, who's a member of the rules and bylaws committee, um, you know, also talked about how one of the forms of diversity that Iowa brings is, um, the rural, working class diversity and that it's a group of folks that Democrats have forgotten how to talk to. Um, he talked about, you know, if, if, if national Democrats can't figure out how to talk to, to rural Americans that under the electoral college system, um, Democrats will be doomed to win the popular vote and lose the electoral college and, and, you know, called that, uh, criminal and, and that, uh, you know, that's something that Democrats need to figure out. Tom, I had a, I had a question for you about some of that, um, did when they were making their case, did they kind of talk at all about, you know, the Iowa caucuses, especially in the Democratic Party, sometimes like being really beneficial for underdogs, you know, like Obama or Sanders? Was that a point that came up? Right. So that was that was a that was a, a point that they stressed and they emphasized is that Iowa is a place that levels the playing field um, for, for everybody because um, the media market in Iowa is, is not as expensive. Um, you know, they mentioned, um, uh, you know, how, um, you know, it, it, it gave a, 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 a platform and an opportunity um, for uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, you know, back in the 1970s. Um, and then, you know, of course, they, as you mentioned, talked about uh, Barack Obama in 2008. And then they mentioned that um, in the 2020 cycle that candidates um, spent like, you um, 44 or 45 million dollars um, in Iowa um, in that, um, you know, the, the candidate 
that spent the most in Iowa was um, Tom Steyer spending like um, uh, 11 million or 12 million um, compared to um, Pete Buttigieg and, and, and Bernie Sanders, um, who spent considerably yes. And yet it was Buttigieg and Sanders um, who, um, you know, got the most traction and, and, and you know, were, were able to, to really build momentum um, and, 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 and make a name for themselves um, because of um, the opportunity that the Iowa caucuses provides um, to, um, you know, to, to, to build your, your organizing, um, um, you know, to um, focus on the retail uh, politicking um, and then how, again, that's, maybe more important than, you know, the media buys and the campaign ads. Um, and then, of course, you know, Buttigieg going on to, to, to win um, to win the Democratic caucuses in Iowa in 2020. Yeah, that, that's a smart case to make. So it, it, it's interesting to hear them that they said that because that is, you know, if you talk about one of the things that you can say about Iowa because there's certain things they can't fight, like the diversity. And I'll even give them points for the creative ways to say framed as like we're not diverse as a whole but we have pockets that that are quite diverse so, so that's that's interesting um uh, todd you also followed the proceedings and i want to ask you so we talked about what iowa democrats said i i'm curious to get your reaction and, and it's kind of like when you cover well when you used to cover a supreme court hearing before you knew how the vote was going to go before it even started um and you would try to gauge how it's going to go based on the line of questioning from the justices, right? To, to, to give you a sense of how they're leaning. Uh, so, in, so in that sense here, uh, based on any of the questions that were asked or the discussion that came up uh, during Iowa's turn, were you able to get any sense from those national Democrats, whether they're genuinely open to keeping Iowa early? Well, they, you know, they had a lot of questions about the new, new and improved caucus process and, and how the preference cards that, that are mailed in, you know, how that's going to work and how the preferences will connect with delegate selection and, and who gets the, you know, the shares of delegates and things like that sort of technical kind of how's this going to work. I didn't, and they're, you know, they, they did get a little bit of, uh, a little bit of, uh, there were some, there was at least one compliment for taking on the, the task of changing the caucuses, someone that had been critical in the past said, you know, I give you credit for trying to make it, make it better. But I, I didn't sense a lot of enthusiasm uh, for Iowa's first in the nation status. And I, I guess what's, you know, is more telling is that, I mean, I watched on Wednesday and a good part of Thursday. I mean, there's just this parade of states who are coming in there with these, with great presentations and great arguments, you know, Nevada came in, and, uh, I think they were first on Wednesday and basically, you know, they're, they're a very diverse state. They have high union membership. Uh, you know, they're, they just, they check all the boxes. They're competitive. Yeah. They're competitive battleground state. I mean, they're, you know, Georgia came in and said, Hey, we're the, we're the future of the democratic party. This is the, this is the place where the presidency was basically won last time. And then, and it's going to be again. And I mean, there just were all sorts of arguments by strong arguments by all of these states, why they'd be, they're just a better choice to, to be up front and to be first. And, and that's what, that's, what's going to hurt Iowa, I think, is that, you know, after hearing all that, 
I'm not sure how this rules and bylaws committee can say, huh, yeah, you're all very diverse and you check all the boxes you meant we wanted you to check, but yeah, we're going to stick with Iowa, I think. <laughs> I just I just don't necessarily see that happening. But I mean, that doesn't mean it can't. And maybe they'll figure out a way to to put Iowa someplace up, up in the up in the front echelon. But it's just after, you know, I liked Iowa's presentation, but after seeing a lot of those others, it's like their case on the on the very you know, the categories that the party says that they want these states to, to fill, it, it just, you know, they're just, these other states do a better job of filling those if the party's serious about changing the calendar. And, and, and to that, uh, Todd, I would add that, you know, Iowa is also under pressure from uh, other Midwestern states um, to be kind of the, the regional representative. Um, you've got uh, Minnesota, uh, Michigan and Illinois as well uh, making pitches to the DNC rules and, and, and bylaws committee. Um, and I think Minnesota and Michigan in particular saying, you know, look, we're much more diverse than Iowa and um, and, and more electoral, excuse me, I can't talk today, and more competitive um, <laughs> electorally, you know, that, that um, you know, they're, they're much more uh, consequential uh, battleground states um, that, you know, um, kind of uh, have more sway and are more, you know, influential um, uh, then compared to, to Iowa. I mean, you know, when you look back to, to, to 2020 and, and, and other elections, you know, obviously Michigan and Minnesota, um, you know, much more competitive than Iowa um, and, and, you know, can make the argument that, you know, it still gives you an opportunity to make connections with um, urban, suburban and, and, and rural voters. You know, you still get that opportunity to speak um, to, to rural America, but at the same time, can, uh, consisting of um, larger populations of, um, of, of, of um, you know, segments of, you know, the Democratic base that, um, you know, you just don't have in Iowa. Well, Minnesota came in and said that they have the support of Democratic parties in Wisconsin and the Dakotas. So thanks, neighbors. But uh, <laughs> this is so, why. So they this have is a, why. Yeah. This is why the Dakotas should just be combined into one state. They can't be trusted as, as separate states. They need to be combined and monitored closely. That's true. Oh, fantastic. Do, do you also lump them together with Nebraska? Do you just create one huge? The, uh, the, the, yeah, the Plains uh, Megalopolis. Yeah, there you go. Be, be careful. You, you get too much input from outside the Midwest, and I will get thrown into that group too. I guess if that happened also, then uh, our tri-state coverage area would become like a, a quad-state coverage area or something over here in Siouxland. I don't know. We could become we could become Midwest world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so, uh, folks, this is a treat for you on the podcast. You're going to listen to an, an audible pulled uh, live on the air here. I'm looking at the clock, and we had a few other things that we wanted to talk about. But there was just so much other stuff going on. I, I think I'm I'm gonna put a pin in these, and we'll come back to those next week when we can give them a little more oxygen, a little more time, and and let you find listeners get out and enjoy the rest of their weekend. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll pause here and and call it uh, it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. But what what uh, about the planned uh, U.S. Russian war that's going to break out next Friday morning? 
Yeah, that's a, let, let's spend the week come t- trying to figure out what's going to break at nine o'clock uh, next Friday morning, right before. What we, about the, the aliens that are going to land next uh, <laughs> next Friday morning? Goodness gracious! <laughs> oh man! But that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you find your podcasts. Fan mail can be sent to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll get all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. And I hope you caught this morning's because I uh, had uh, some things that I wanted to say about some former colleagues at the Gazette. So so if you're not a subscriber, find someone who is and have them forward that to you. Um, And you can subscribe to the On Iowa Politics newsletter at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Porch Builders will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.